The message this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27, and I will ask you to stand as we read this together. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice, and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. There are people who are always positive. They see the full glass. They always look for the rainbow in the dark clouds. They always find the upside to whatever situation they are in. These are people we have a cliche for. They look at the world through rose-colored glasses. Everything they see has a tinge of beauty to it, and they can't help but believe that the best things are the things worth noticing. The lenses they wear color everything in a certain way, and no matter what is going on, they see everything with that overlay of something better. Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is advising a different sort of lens. He advises the church in Corinth on some very specific issues he has heard they have. Divisions in the church, sexual immorality, legalism, chaos in worship, and doubt about the resurrection. In Acts chapter 18, Luke tells us that Paul founded the church in Corinth, and then, after several several years, he moved on to Ephesus. Other preachers and teachers have come to Corinth since, and some have reported back to Paul that the church is having problems. So he writes them this letter. In it, he addresses each of the problems one at a time. And he offers the same solution, but in a different way. Live out the gospel, he says. Look at the life you live through a gospel lens and live it in these circumstances. The first thing that he talks about is divisions in the church. And divisions of the church at Corinth are because fan clubs are forming around the various teachers that have been in Corinth. Paul has been there, Apollos, and Peter. And these fan clubs have become like a rivalry, not unlike the Cubs and White Sox. 
If you follow one and you are a fan of that one, you can't follow the other and be a fan of that one as well. You also have noticed that the people who follow someone other than the one that you follow are jerks and are losers and are not super smart. These are the things that Paul is hearing about the church in Corinth as they talk about Paul and Apollos and Peter. So Paul tells them that it makes no sense for followers of Jesus to become divided this way. He says it is okay to like the way one or another taught, but in all cases, two things should happen. Jesus has to be the center of every community of believers, and leaders and teachers have to emulate Jesus by being servants. Paul says, look at this in the light of the gospel. The good news is that we can admire certain personalities of various leaders, but we always return to the Christ who saved us as the one person whose importance and example are critical to our lives and faith. The next topic that Paul addresses in the church in Corinth is some very serious sex stuff that's happening. I'm not going to delineate all of the things, but there's some pretty icky stuff that's happening here. Using the argument that we are all free in Christ, people are having affairs and sleeping around. And Paul says that the reality is is that God has given us rules around sexual integrity because a sexual relationship always carries with it responsibilities and the potential for heartache and ruin. Having sex with anyone and everyone is not the model that God has set out because God cares about how we feel and how we live and our relationships with each other. Yes, we are free in Christ. We were not free to do things that hurt us and other people. What we do with our bodies matters. What we do with our bodies matters, not because God has made rules to keep us from having sexual fun but because sexual fun is designed to be between married people to avoid the many risks of anguish and hurt and sorrow that come from having sex outside of that commitment, in whatever form that takes. Jesus died to free you from the broken relationship between you and God, not to encourage broken relationships between you and everyone else. And Paul addresses legalism which in Corinth takes the form of whether or not you are allowed to eat food sacrificed to idols. Some of the Jewish Christians are saying that that's a terrible thing, that when you do that, it is a terrible thing. Some of the others are saying it doesn't matter, it's no big deal, they're just wooden statues, they're not even real. And Paul says that everything that you do has to be about turning people to Jesus. So if eating food that's been served to idols hurts someone else, stop it. And if it doesn't, and your conscience is clear, go ahead. In our modern times, one of the ways that the Church of the Nazarene thinks about this is in connection with drinking alcohol. When the Church of the Nazarene was first started, it was in the days before Prohibition. And there were a lot of people, even as there are today, who had serious and significant problems with alcohol. So the Church of the Nazarene took the position that in pointing people to Christ, 
they could be free from the desire and need to drink, and that in solidarity, even those Christians who didn't have any problems with alcohol could come alongside their brothers and sisters who did and love them better by keeping themselves free of the stuff. It's not a sin to drink alcohol. There's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol, but because it is, uh, it is one of those things that other people really deeply struggle with, it is the primary reason why the Church of the Nazarene's members commit to being alcohol-free, not because alcoholic beverages are bad in and of themselves, but because the consequences of drinking continue to wreak havoc in people's lives. That is living your life in light of the gospel. Pointing to people to Jesus by not doing what could be a problem to someone else, even though it is not a problem for you. It is much of what Paul means in our key passions today. As Christians, we do whatever we must to draw people to Jesus. We live differently. We forget about what matters to us and worry about what matters to Christ because we want others to live and love and exist in the freedom, joy, peace, and love that we have. If we have an abundant life because of the power of the gospel, we should want to share that with others and show them what it means. And if, to do that, we need to come alongside them in the places where they are, then Paul says that is what we have to do. Paul's whole point in this letter is to point out to the Corinthian church that they need to build one another up and seek to draw others to the Jesus they know and love. They need to love and encourage and strengthen one another. All in all, Paul says, it comes down to the command that Jesus reiterated over and over. Love God, love your neighbor. <coughs> It's in the Luke passage that we read today, the story of the Good Samaritan, that Jesus tells of someone who put aside every difference they had with someone who was not like them and cared for what they were and what they needed. This Paul, Paul says, everywhere in this letter to the first Corinthians is, <clears throat> is how every Christ follower must live. And in doing so, the church and the gospel will be victorious over the sin and death that are ever-present in every situation in the world around us. This Paul reminds the Corinthians and each of us is why Christ died, so that we might be different, so that we might love bigger and better, so that we might shine the light of the gospel, the good news about who Christ is and what it looks like to follow him, to those who are stuck in division, in sexual immorality, in legalistic sorrow. Jesus died, but he was resurrected so we would have victory. And when we live through that lens, everything is different and better and beautiful. I'd ask you to pull out your blue sheets now, for those of you who have them. Dylan's going to hand out some to everyone who doesn't.
So if you would read whenever I say whatever is bolded on your page as we go along. So what does it mean to say God loves? To create us, to form us from the dust, to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death, to provide a rescue, a way back through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers to show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. To To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. To send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. To want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. To still let us choose our own destiny. To promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Go. Love the world with him.